G'day, Osha here. Uh, thanks for downloading the show. If you're new, uh, welcome, and we'll get to the episode in just a moment. These podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make, so I need to pay Andy and Rachel, who make the show with me. So you might hear an ad. If you hear an ad, thank you. You're helping me keep the lights on. If you don't hear an ad, you'll hear Jimmy say something cool. Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. People do often question your motives for going on to a show. You know, I mean, I'm realistic. I think, and I think every single one of the girls coming on the show, everyone would consider the fact that you're going to have a following afterwards. And there's no judgment for me if they're going to use that to benefit themselves and, and, and their business or whatever. For me, the only judgment is if you get on the, on the show and then you realise that, you, you know, if they don't like me, that's fair enough. I can't expect them to like me. Um, there's one of me, there's a lot of them. If they don't like me and then they still stay there and knowing that they don't like me, and then other people going home that are genuine, who de- genuinely did really like me and aren't there for the fame, that's where I think it gets frustrating. So I think that's one of the misconceptions about people going on to The Bachelor is that everyone goes on there just looking for fame. And I think that's something for me to easily fend off because I've actually got a job that I've worked incredibly hard to get to. So you know, I'm actually doing, from a professional point of view, I'm doing myself a disadvantage when it comes to my aviation career. That is commercial airline pilot and the ninth person to be known as The Bachelor in Australia, Jimmy Nicholson. And this is episode 395 of Better Than Yesterday. G'day and thanks heaps for listening. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. This is a bi-weekly podcast that comes out twice a week uh, and something you hear today will help you make today better than yesterday. That's it. Mondays I'm here with a guest. Fridays I'm here with you. Uh, I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I'm a dad, a stepdad, and an e-bike rider and a hide-and-seek play. Actually, the game's called Where Are You? That's the game we play with the youngest down the park. And I'm in lockdown, like you are, if you're in Australia listening to this right now. Thanks heaps for listening. This is episode 395. There's years of other episodes to go check out if you're interested. And thanks heaps for all the feedback about last week's show with The Minimalists. It was super cool. Uh, Send us your email at gmail.com is how you can find me. Always grateful to get an email from you. And also thanks for the people that dropped in on the live stream. I did get back on the live stream. We're at lockdown again here in Sydney, so I did get back on the live stream and you know, it's nice to see people. I always get worried when I put out a Friday show and I'm a bit grim, mainly, you know, for Andy who has to edit this. <laughs> but the people on the live stream are like, no, no, it's okay. We like honesty. Honesty's good. It makes us feel not crazy. So that's nice. That's really nice. Let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is Jimmy Nicholson. If you've never lived in Australia before, we, like a number of other countries around the world, have a version of the TV franchise, The Bachelor. And Jimmy is our ninth bachelor. He's a lovely guy. He's a commercial airline pilot. He's a vintage motorcycle enthusiast. He runs triathlons. He's the full package. He's a lovely human being. And I haven't really had the opportunity to get a batch on 
I don't think this is my first bachelor that I've had on. I don't think I've had another bachelor on. I think this is the first time I've had a bachelor on. It only took me nine years. There you go. Oh, that's bloody great. Have I had another? You probably write me an email and tell me I have. Yeah, it's the first time I've had one on. And um, look, he's really good. I'm really enjoying the current season of the show. I love getting to know all the ladies and I think it's great. You know, it's uh, interesting to see how people interact. I find it fascinating as a show to work on. And um, thanks heaps for watching. It's a hard slog up against the Olympics, man, but something's got to go up against the Olympics. <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough world out there. But thankfully, you know, the people are, heaps of people are watching, which is great uh, in various ways and forms that people watch. And I really appreciate it. It's really good. I really like Jimmy. He's a good guy. There's a few bachelors that I've really clicked with. Only because, like, that's the kind of person I am and I gel with certain men differently from others. We all have that. And there's a few bachelors that I have clicked with in the past and Jimmy's definitely one of them. He's a good guy. And I'm really grateful that we had a chance to chat and I hope you enjoyed getting to know him. You can find him all over the internet right now. <laughs> he's got an Instagram. He's got everything. You go find him. He's there. <laughs> uh, but enjoy this conversation and enjoy getting to know the lovely Jimmy Nicholson. Grateful I can speak to you today, man. Hey, um, we're recording this the day after the first episode. Yeah, perfect. Did you watch it? I did. Yeah. I did. I sat on my couch. We had a family Zoom going in the um, in the ad breaks. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of weird to see it all play back because so much of that stuff I've forgotten and so yeah. much of night one, I it was, you know, I was like drinking uh, water through a fire hose. I was just like... yeah. There's so much information to take in that you kind of forget. Yeah. Yeah, it was good to see. It was a a blur. I was making Masked Singer last night and uh, so I miss – I normally watch the show as it goes to air and I'm on Twitter and stuff like that. But I was I was away, you know, I was on, jumping up and down off stage and, and screaming like a Kermit the Frog at, at people. And um, <laughs> my phone was just, you know, pinging off mostly from people like, I know that guy, he's – He's in my motorcycle cafe races group and stuff like that. So, you know, your subtle subgroups of social interaction are, in, in, are blending with mine in, in weird non-TV ways. It's interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing that people are like, because I posted my motorbike when I finished building it. Well, I finished building it in the house, as you know, but yeah. it was pretty much complete before I went in there. So I posted it on there. And I'm always on there chatting to other people about like to impart and also um, receive knowledge. And anyway, I posted it like almost complete. And then last night I checked on um, my messages and it was it popped up and we said, ah, we recognize that bike from The Bachelor. <laughs> so it's great to see how many, um, you know, guys my age who are into motorbikes are watching The Bachelor. <laughs> For people who, you know, obviously people have seen the show right now and so there's, you know, there's this beautiful backstory and stuff like that. What I, we don't, and we talked about this on the other podcast with Alicia. I thought it was kind of cool that with the first time we met you isn't shirtless running along the beach. You know, the first time we met you was having a barbecue with your family. You grew up in Sydney, is that right? Yeah, so um, I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, um, and I think the reason why probably it was open with that is because. You know, my family define me. Running up a beach shirtless <laughs> doesn't define me, but right. I'm sure that's to come. But look, I'm really, really close with my family, as you know. I should wear, wear a really tight yeah, bunch. Yeah. And um, yeah, so born and bred in Northern Beaches. And um, it was so lucky to be able to get all my family on board and have them yeah. featured on the show as well. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes it's, you know, for whatever reasons, certain whether it's the the relationships or people just don't want to be on TV, but sometimes, you know, people don't get involved. And um, it was really nice that everyone was supportive. Uh, what I find interesting is that you come from a long line of of pilots. Do you remember the how old you were when you first went up in a plane with your dad? I think I was about 12. I've got a, I've got a pretty cool photo of me. It's a montage of me on that first flight sitting in front, actually sitting at the controls of a Piper Cherokee, I think it was. And then it's it's also got, it had me, I think maybe after my first solo or thereabouts, 10 years later or maybe even more, um, depending on how old it was in the photo, next to it. And I'm, I'm pulling the exact same move, and I did it on purpose. I retook the photo. But it's, it's kind of cool because it, it just shows... 
Yeah, so young when I started. Uh, yeah, but yeah. there was a big gap between there. That was just going up for a little joyride sort of thing. And then I didn't start really hitting it until um, after I finished school. How did your dad come to flying? I mean, re- recreational flying, it's its a little like golf in, in that it takes a lot of time away from your family, but not quite like golf in that it takes it's really expensive. <laughs> How did your dad come to fly? Because his dad flew as well, didn't he? Yeah. So, so my grandfather was a pilot in New Zealand, um, and then he moved over to Australia. Um, well, the whole family moved over. Dad was quite young, and um, my grandfather was with Qantas for a number of years. Um, he was a pilot and also a flight engineer. Back in those days, they had three what they call tech crew sitting up the front of the aircraft. So there was two pilots and then a flight engineer who was often a pilot as well, who would control the thrust of the engines and do all that kind of stuff. And basically, if anything went wrong, they would sort the engines out and the other guys and girls would fly the planes. And uh, so that was dad's father, Ken. And then um, my dad got into it when he was young. The, his relationship with his dad wasn't great. And I, I think my, um, my grandfather kind of didn't, was trying to hold back allowing dad to fly. So dad didn't have any money, so he, he couldn't afford to do it. But when he, he was working at Qantas for many years in cabin crew after he was an aircraft engineer with Qantas, and, um, and then he started paying for his own flying lessons and, and got his private license and has flown ever since. So it's something he and I do together, which is great. So your dad was cabin crew? Dad was cabin crew. Dad was 17 when he started. He did his apprenticeship with Qantas as an engineer. So he walked, worked on the 747 and then he thought, He's just like, this is my life. I'm covered in grease all the time. He's like, I, I, this isn't for me. Dad's the ultimate handyman. He can fix anything. And those skills were honed in then. But yeah, then he, then uh, those days they would go around to surf clubs on the northern beaches and say to people, hey, do you want to go surfing and get paid for it and go surf Hawaii and the US, join cabin crew. So he did. Um, <laughs> Dad was one of the youngest cabin managers on the 747. He, he did the Olympics. 2000 Olympics. Um, he did all those flights and um, wow. had a great career with Qantas and then left the airlines about 15 years ago. And now he's ha- having an amazing career in real estate. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I wondered, did he ever work on the 747s with the downstairs galley? He did. Yeah, he did. Wow. And I, he probably would never tell you, but I've had Kevin Crew about your dad's age, <laughs> retired Kevin Crew, tell me about, oh, yeah, man, Qantas Flight 20 up to Denpasar. Whew, downstairs galley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was a lift. I, I believe it, there was a lift to get down there. And um, and Dad said some of the stories and the things that happened down there are, you know. Different time, Jimmy. Couldn't really speak It was a different them. time. Different time. It was a different time. Oh, yeah. I think the other thing, I've got a chance to meet a lot of your family, not all of them, but I got a chance to meet your mum and your sister as, as well. How'd your dad meet your mum? So my mum's brother... Peter, who's a pilot, he he's just retired. He was with um, Royal Bruin and I for many years. He's a he's one of the big weak pilots, what we call in the in the game a checky. So he he basically runs the simulators. So he does all the assessments of the other pilots. So Uncle Peter stole Dad's girlfriend, and um, <clears throat> and Dad wasn't too happy when he found out that Uncle Peter had pinched his girlfriend. So they were all in the same group, hanging out and growing up in the Northern Beaches in in Avalon. And so Dad was pretty gutted because Uncle Peter swooped in, nicked his missus, and then um, uh, somehow I think maybe Uncle Peter to, to kind of, I don't know, um, help him out, introduced him to his sister, my mum. So weird introduction. It's like, sorry about your girlfriend, but here's my younger sister. And, um, I mean, the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because hey, look, it's an it's an interesting couple as a, a psychologist and a and a cabin manager. They click. They're like a real yin and yang. You know, dad doesn't know how to use internet banking. Mum does all the finances, but they work so well together. They're completely different, but they're just such a great team. And and you know, growing up. Dad had a great job, but mum was always the main breadwinner. Mum was a clinical psychologist and then a corporate psychologist. And and now um, mum's working helping dad, in the, which is now the family business in, in real estate. And um, and dad's out there hustling. So it's a bit of a non-traditional setup and it was from the start, but they've got a great relationship. How do you think that when you look around your mates and you look at, you know, how you approach your own relationships, how did your relationship of origin kind of affect the way that you you know, you dated and tried to meet partners. Yeah, it's it's tricky because 
my sister and her husband also have, you know, one of those relationships where they're just madly in love. They've got a young kid as well, but they just are just, you know, so, so happy together. Mm. So I'm surrounded by these really successful couples who are genuinely infatuated with one another. Yeah. So it was hard. Um, you know, I had two long-term relationships prior to all of this and, and they were great relationships and they were great girls. You'd always compare your relationship with those around you and I found myself doing that and there was nothing wrong with my relationship. It was, it was awesome. But um, it made me realise that, you know, I want that and I want to have what they have. Yeah. And to do that, you need to have that time by yourself and that was probably yeah, the reason why my last relationship ended because I'd been in relationships my whole, the majority of my teens and then pretty much my whole 20s. And the one thing I don't want to get wrong is the marriage thing. So it's it happens too much these days and I wanted to go into it as prepared as I could and, and that, that meant going off and having the time by myself and experiencing the ups and downs of a single life. I think it's, it's, from my own experience, it's definitely important to when, particularly in my experience, when a long-term relationship comes to a close, as you would with any incident in any workplace, you go, okay, how did that happen? And what can we do about mm. having not, that not happen again? You know, how can mm. we fix that edge of that desk that someone keeps knocking into? Or how can we, you know, adjust this workflow so that we don't run a week late every time we're trying to deliver a product? You know, similarly with my own, you know, life, I was like, how can I not do what I did before? Because I don't want that to happen again. And some of those, some of those things can be really painful. And some of them I still struggle with. But I think it's really important. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably end relationships and just don't really think about it and then just get into another one. But I, I think it's a really valid point like looking back on, on relationships and especially if they were nice relationships. And for me, I found that there was nothing wrong with the relationships. It was it, the relationship. It was, it was that I needed to go and do something that I couldn't fix within the relationship. But yeah, I definitely reflected on it and, and had a look at where I can improve and what I, what I need to do. And I've done that. And yeah. hopefully it's the last time to do that. I'm super happy now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really, really important thing to do. Dating's a different kettle of fish as it was five years ago, 10 years ago. When did you first kind of become aware of, oh, you know, dating can happen on television? When did you, come, when did you become aware that there was this show called The Bachelor? I remember, I, I don't know if I watched season one with um, Tim Robarts, but um, I remember, I think Australia just sees him as this, you know, he's the original OG Bachelor and it's the OG success story to come out of it, which is really nice. But I think there's a lot of different shows on at the moment and some are less credible than others. But certainly the the Bachelor franchise, I guess, works looking at the Laura J's, uh, the Laura J's, the Laura and Maddie J's. Well, I guess she is Laura. Like if you're going the old school, like she would be Laura well, J if he's been it. But we, you know, she's still, yeah. she's got her own last name. My <laughs> wife has her own last name. You know, well, she didn't need mine. She's got one perfectly good one. Yeah. she's yeah, That's it. She's happy with hers. Yeah, oh, I'm happy with hers. It's great. Why would she need my last name? I've got my own. <laughs> you might t- you might have a rebrand, Osher, and, and take hers next year. I think I'm done with rebranding for another. <laughs> <laughs> You've had enough of those. I've had enough enough of that yeah yeah uh but so you were you were aware of it did you did you have a look at it and go yeah nah, people can't fall in love like that yeah i must admit i was pretty skeptic not prior to coming in because by that stage I, I knew that it was something that that can work but also i'm realistic there's a lot of things that need to work outside of the show and everything um to the true test is after when the cameras are off yeah and for me that's something i've found for me and my now partner um we just get along like a house on fire and i actually think you know even that finale, I was, you know, genuinely really, really happy and, and, and I was stoked and it would show through. But it's the time we spend after that, that you then realise, you see if you're going to be compatible for, for the future. And we are just so, so happy together. So, yeah, I'm going into it, you hope that you meet someone and you hope that afterwards you can date and just see what happens. But now I look back and I, I realise why it, it works. Well, at least you met this person and she knows that you're already into things like triathlons because starting to take up a sport is like, okay, hon, I'm going to leave the house now for six hours to go train. It can be hard, you know? It's like there's no way I can take up golf now, all right? No. Like I'm flat out just going, I have a bike simulator upstairs where I do my riding these days, but the days of like I'm just I'm off to do 100Ks, <laughs> bye, hun. 
full five hours on the bike, gone. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> but at least you at least you met her while there's also this thing that you do that isn't work that takes up a lot of your time is already in existence. Are, are you training for a try? Have you got one on the horizon? No, I mean, sadly, I went for a run the other day with my mate, Finn, who who also, who you met, and I've got this calf thing that keeps coming back, and I we, we did like an 8K run, and then I couldn't walk the next day, oh. so... Oh, it's it's frustrating, but I don't know. I, I would love to just tick off an Ironman and then just, you know, be done with it. I've done a half, but now I do a 10K run or something like that, and I'm like, how the bloody hell did I do double this after doing all the other stuff? Um, <laughs> it's crazy, but, yeah, I, I, it's on the bucket list, but I don't know. We'll see. Welcome to your 30s, man. <laughs> oh, it's rough. <laughs> getting old. Grey hairs are coming through. It's <laughs> body's failing. Everything starts to hurt. <laughs> Everything starts to <laughs> What do you like about triathlon? I mean, I know you kind of came to try through your mum, didn't you? Yeah. So my sister, when she first met her husband, she met him in, they were both studying in Essex. Uh, he's Spanish. So so she went and lived with him in Barcelona for a year after that and we were going to go visit them on a holiday. And mum said, oh, there's a, um, there's a triathlon over there, the Barcelona triathlon. Uh, I'm going to do it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to go watch my mum do a triathlon because I've always been into exercise and fitness. And so I thought, all right, well, I'll do it with you. So we went over and did the the Barca try and uh, it was amazing. The swim was incredible. The run around Barcelona through all the, you know, along La Ramblas and all those areas was just incredible and I loved it. So I kept doing them with mum and, yeah, we did we did a fair few and, I guess the rest is history. But for me, it's competing that I love. The training, I'm usually, I prefer the gym style training. Like what you say, Osh, you go and do 100Ks on the bike. Like that's a significant period of your day sitting in the saddle. Mm. So I like to go and just get it done. But competing was great fun. Yeah. What do you get out of pushing your body in those situations? I loved the post-race endorphins. I'm definitely not a not a, an expert when it comes to triathlon. I love competing in triathlon, but you know, I, I did all right. But I was never, you know, I was never winning races or anything like that. But um, I just loved the the post-race endorphin hit, where you can we would always go and have a massive big breakfast somewhere, big brunch, and you could just eat whatever you want. <laughs> you just walk around, and you just got that 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 runner's high is is actually a thing and even if i go and do a, a 6k run or whatever you just mentally and physically feel so good afterwards you've got that like kind of it's like butterflies in your stomach and you just feel you get that endorphin hit and it's yes yeah, it's, it's addictive that feeling i love it do you find that it helps you do you find benefit from you know when you're exercising and not exercising do you notice a difference at work yeah i do i um if I've got a simulator coming up or I've got something that's that's a stressful event coming up and they're getting less stressful as the years go on because you just get more and more used to them like anything, I guess. But yeah, if I go and do a little run, even, you know, if we do Perth trips and, and if you're doing back of the clock flying and that kind of stuff, if I go and do a run, I find it just kind of resets the body a little bit. So yeah, it's, it is it is really beneficial for work, study as well, go and do a run before study. And even when we're filming, I'd often go and do a workout or you know, I couldn't exactly go for a run around the block, but, you know, um, I could still do a little workout and get the get the blood flowing and, yeah, you, you notice the difference. So you, you mentioned two things there that people may not realise about pilots. You know, they don't, they don't just become a pilot, get the epaulets and off they go. It's a constant upkeep and constant testing of the skill set, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So every year um, we're, we're assessed twice a year where we got thrown in the sweat box, we call it, which is the simulator. And it's now gone to a, a more line-oriented kind of exercises, which, which means that things that are more likely to happen on the line. Um, back in the day with my first flying gig with the regional airline, um, it was always that they would put together the worst flight possible. So engines failing, dealing with icing conditions, um, thunderstorms, all that kind of stuff, and going back to the most like basic level of, of instruments that you can use. So that was it was, the, it was tough, but now it's more real-life exercises, you know, bomb threats on board, having to land quickly, all those type of things, which are really exciting and fun. But yeah, you, you put in the hard yards twice a year and you're constantly studying as a pilot. You you do a lot of work at home, which isn't accounted for, but, you know, we all love it. So it's all part of the job. And every, every time you do it, that's your career on the line. Yeah. Yeah. So 
basically you 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 are you're going into make sure you you keep your job yeah. and if, you know if you if something happened you fail the simulator they they put you through retraining and you you know they get you up to a level where they're comfortable and they'll check you back to line and all that kind of stuff but yeah you Careers on the line. I, I really enjoyed nerding out on on a- aircraft with you. You don't you don't just like flying. You really you really love it, don't you? What is it about it you like so much? I mean, it's pretty cool to be able to have something that's your hobby and then get paid for it. Like first and foremost, the idea of an off- office job never really appealed to me. But you know, you you do work so hard as a pilot. I, I mean, I can't name how many exams I did before getting my commercial license, some instrument rating, but I think it was probably about 50. And then from then on, you you still, you know, you do your what are called ATPL exams, which are a few of them are really, really hard. One of them has a um, pass rate of about 30%. Some people just, just don't get through. I, I ended up going and um, paying to do a two-week course to do it, which most people do, and then studied Christmas Day. Or I just couldn't talk to the family. It was just studying, studying, studying. So you put in a lot of hard work to get there and it's Unless you really enjoy doing it, you wouldn't bother. When people say to me, oh, being a pilot looks pretty cool, I might do that. I always say, if you have a genuine desire to fly an airplane, amazing, do it because it's worth it. But if you're just doing it because it seems like a cool job or you, you just want to earn good money, you go do something else. It's a lot of hard work. I've been listening to a lot of Luke Heggie and Nick Cody's mid-flight brawl, which is probably why I did pepper you a lot with questions about, and what about mid-air incidents? <laughs> um, yeah. they, the barley flights. Yeah, on that podcast, on mid-flight brawl, they have a, you know, they have a theory that two and a half hours is the magic hour. <laughs> That's when things generally kick off. If there's going to be an incident, it's going to be around there. Do you get twitchy when it's a longer flight or when you've got a Bali or something like that at about two and a half hours in? Do you get a bit worried? Look, for us, that that's not the, our biggest concern because luckily we've, we're, you know, obviously we care for our cabin crew to the back there, but they're pretty well trained. They can kind of handle any of that kind of stuff. But um, for us, the big worry is, is something, ha- we've got the other contingency things happening halfway between one airport and the other where if an engine fails or any yeah. of that kind of stuff happens, you've got to have all that mapped out. So, so we've got lines, you know, GPS lines that we plot where our awareness might be a little bit more heightened because between those two points, we've got to make sure we do something correctly pretty quickly. Yeah. But, you know, in the cabin, look, it is a worry, but the staff are so well-trained and they're used to it as well. But certainly for my last simulator when we were dealing with things like, you know, bomb threats on board, going over that stuff um, in the manuals, is, it's really, really interesting and it's amazing to see how many procedures are in place and how many levels of protection are there to make sure none of that happens. Yeah, the first time I remember flying and being really aware of of those contingencies, I flew wildly. I flew in a a single-engine plane with Dexter Holland from The Offspring. (laughs) We flew from Los Angeles to Sacramento, and most of the flight, most of the flight was him and his co-pilot, who was a a former fighter pilot for the um, US Navy. Most of the flight was them just identifying airfields yeah, between here and there, and I had no, I had no idea a that there were that many airfields around, but b like every time we pass one, we go okay, now this is the tricky one because now we are we're kind of a bit stuck here. That there's like they mentioned something about how far they could glide or something like that. It's like we're a little too far away from the next one, so we're just yeah. And and it was literally in the air they were basically leapfrogging from safety jumps but all i'm thinking is like oh we take off when we land it's like no 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 there was maybe yeah. 60 places between there and sacramento that they were planning and that was most of that's all they talked about the whole way there and i had no idea that that's what went on yeah i mean it, that's like single engine flying 101 is you can never be complacent and you're always whenever i'm flying with dad Dad is is very, very capable, but if he's going to go flying with mum, I want to make sure that whenever I go flying with him, if I can show him anything or teach him anything, um, I try to. So I'm always pushing him and, and, you know, you always say, oh, where are you going to, engine fails now, where are you going to land? Because if it's not in your head and you don't have a field picked out and you just say, oh, I'll just figure it out, you know, the one time it does happen, you're going to run into some issues. So that's like flying a single engine aircraft 101 is you're constantly looking around at places to land. Yeah. How does being a pilot, and there, there, there is a, a, a pilot in my life, you know, two pilots in my life, and I've I've seen how it changes the way they go through their day-to-day. How does it change the way you go through your day-to-day life, like having this skill set of constantly looking for contingencies, constantly looking for a safe landing, basically? 
You mean three pilots in your life now, Usher? Well. Sorry, Jimmy. Sorry. Huh? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You're, you're now third and best. Third and, offended. Third and best <laughs> pilot in my life, Jimmy. Third and best um, pilot in my life. <laughs> Look, it's um, because we're so, you know, work, it's all about checklists, procedures. It, it, there's a reason for that because, you know, if you follow the checklist and the procedures, nothing goes well. Not much is going to go wrong. At least yeah. there will be no pilot error. Yeah, and I guess when it comes to my my personal life, I do try and because I've got that at work, I actually try to be less regimented outside of work. And a yeah. lot of people say oh, I can spot a pilot from a mile away because they are quite detailed in the way they go about things. Yeah. So, yes, for certain aspects of my life, I will be. Cooking, for instance, I will follow that recipe. You know, if it says half a teaspoon, there's half a teaspoon going in. But if it comes to other things like making decisions about holidays and that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, we'll figure it out. It's It's all good. Like, just trust the system. It'll work. So... I do have to sort of call myself out from time to time because I am like overanalyzing things a little bit, but also I try and be pretty chilled in my in my day-to-day life. So depends. Has it caused problems in relationships in the past? Because I know that with me, I sometimes if I'm working a lot, I will talk in sound bites and <laughs> it infuriates and rightly infuriates the people close to me. Like you're not on television. Stop talking to me with your television voice. Yeah. Does it impact yeah. your personal relationships? Um, not not really, because because I am pretty cruisy outside of the. I mean, I'm pretty cruisy at work as well, to be honest. But but outside of work, I try and be pretty cruisy. I, I don't think um, that in itself will impact personal relationships, but definitely just the nature of my job in itself does. The rostering system, you know, I, I can't really plan anything a weekend ahead, for instance. I can't plan to be there on Christmas. I can't, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah, it, it makes it really difficult. So you do live your life within a one month. You know, I'm, I'm only thinking about one month from now because that's when the roster comes out or, or that's how, how long the roster's, you know, published up until. So that that can have issues in, in your personal life, yeah, and relationships. That, yeah. I, and I guess we're all kind of living with that now. No one can plan a thing. You know, we're we're recording this and everything's everything's locked down. When the when you saw the you know the pandemic on the horizon in early 2020, what what were you thinking? Again, because I am an eternal optimist. So I was I, was, I remember I was on a, a trip with my mate, uh, one of my best mates, Grubs, and he was on a he was in Darwin for work. He's a pilot as well, and so I had a few days off. So. I jumped on a flight up there to hang out with him and we were in Darwin. I remember we were sitting at a cafe and we'd just been to visit all these amazing, you know, springs and we'd had this incredible time up there and we'll sit in this cafe um, listening to the, to the news and reading newspapers and, and we sort of said to each other like, this is, this is getting pretty serious. It must have been in, it was in February or March mm-hmm. 2020 and, yeah, I said to him, I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is, this could be, we could be off work for a while here thinking it's going to be two months or something. And I remember one of my last flights I had, my offsider was saying that um, he said to the crew, he, and he said, guys, we could be, we're probably going to be off for a whole year. And I remember thinking, oh, mate, don't, you know, be optimistic because I could see the cabin crew where some of them were almost in tears. And I said to them after, oh, I think, I don't think it's going to be that long. Surely not. I think we'll be okay. And funnily enough, yeah, eight months later, I was back at work. So, yeah, it was um, because I thought I was going back to work. It was next month, next month, next month. I think it would have been different if someone had, you know, just said to you, oh, look, Osher, you've got eight months off now. So, Oof. as someone who, like, obviously being a f- flying a Airbus full of people, having all those lives in your hands behind the wheel of an A320, you know, that's a pretty stimulating job. Okay. <laughs> and and if you're anything like me, if you don't have that kind of stimulation, you you can be a bit of a punish, not only to yourself, but the people around you. <laughs> How did you stay busy? What did you do to keep your brain okay during that time? As you know, I'm, I've, I love working on motorbikes and fixing up motorbikes. So for me, I had the, the bike that you that you saw um, that we filmed with Osha, that, that bike, I was working on that. I've been building it for uh, three and a bit years. So I would I would set myself a task every day, what I need to do on the bike. The night before, I'd list out what I'm, okay, here's the methodical side of me coming out. I'd list out exactly what I, what I wanted to achieve the next day and I'd watch the videos I need to, I'd read up on it and then the next day I'd go and do it. And I'd, I'd go to bed and I'd be dreaming about what I'm going to do with the bike. So it was so good to have that. And so I, I did that. I posted a note in our um, apartment block offering assistance as a handyman for the building. Um, so I don't know, moved some pot plants around for some old ladies and stuff like that. 
And also then I, I joined um, the surf club as well. So I'd, I just tried to stay busy and, and do different things because I thought I was going to back to work the next month the whole time. So I could get by, no wife, kids or mortgage. It was all right. But um, uh, things were very, very different for a lot of my um, co-workers, that's for sure. Well, you've just described like in, you just kind of knew how to do it, but you described a few things that they just always tell you to do. Well, they being the doctors I'm going to go and see, they go, all right, so number one, plan the next day before you go to bed because then the next day doesn't feel kind of out of control. You're like, oh, no, I know exactly what's going to happen today and I feel a sense of control. And then when you've done all the things on your list, you're like, oh, I feel a sense of achievement and that, oh, there's the dopamine, there's the, there it is, there's the oxytocin, mm. there's the there's the feeling of achievement, the feeling of worthiness, you know, I've, I've done something meaningful today. Then be of service uh, is the other thing. Post a note, help some people move pot plants around and go and volunteer. Like you you just seem to know to do the things that the psychologists tell you to do <laughs> when you're in these situations to look after your own mental health. What, what was it like going to, you know, volunteer at a surf lifesaving club? You've got to have, what, you've got to have a bronze medallion and stuff like that. Do you have to go and do all that or do you already have it? No, no, I had to go and do that. So um, me and my mate Finn um, went and, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, but I, I always played basketball in high school. So I, I never, on the summer sports seasons, I never did any of the surf lifesaving stuff. So we we volunteered, well, we signed up to do a, we did a, a six week, it's called a, I think it was called a lightning bronze, which you do, it was basically for working professionals where you, you go either two nights a week mm. and then Saturday, Sunday mornings. The nights were theory and the Saturday, Sunday mornings were, um, were, you know, you'd be on the beach running, doing drills. And it was so much fun doing it. But also you're just learning from these amazing people. We had doctors, nurses, ambos, like the people running the courses were so knowledgeable. Um, so it was great fun. And, and also we had a group of about 20 of us and, you know, we'd go and have coffee afterwards. And uh, it was just, yeah, great camaraderie. And then on the weekends you'd go and, run on the sand and swim in the water. And again, it was something that we could, for Finn and I, he's also a pilot, we usually couldn't commit to doing things like this. So we had nothing to do. So yeah. it was perfect. What, what was it like starting from scratch? What was it like? To, I mean, you're someone who does your job. You know, you probably say, look, I'm learning all the time. But what was it like to, as someone who's you know, pretty accomplished, to be like, I guess be humbled a bit, like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. That's not how you fix a two-stroke or that's not how you put a, you know, a, an inflatable through the surf and getting things wrong and kind of being humbled by getting thrown out of a boat or tipping a surf ski or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm definitely, if I go into something and I don't know much about it, I'll sit back and, you know, I've got no problem. And, and that's something I say when I first, I think some people might have a little bit of a chip on their shoulders, especially in aviation. When you, you're flying a new aircraft type, you may have a lot of experience. You might have 5,000 hours flying other different aircrafts or 20,000 hours, but you're coming to a new aircraft. So I would always say to the person that, that's teaching me, I'd say, and even after once you're what's called checked a line and you're qualified to to then fly with another with a captain and you know you're not being asked questions you're not being assessed i'd always say hey look i'm still green if you've got anything to teach me i'd love to know and you ask people that and they say oh yeah okay yeah well this is what i found out i screwed this up a few years ago look at this so i've never been one if i don't know much about something i'm all ears but yeah it was just some of the stuff you learn is incredible and, and the people that are volunteering to teach it as well taking their nights off from their busy schedules to, to teachers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's they're all there because they want to teach and it's a it's just a really nice environment. Just before we get to the last part of my conversation with Jimmy, I mentioned before that um, this podcast is free to listen to but not free to make. So every now and again, I've got to play some ads. You may or may not hear an ad, depending on how you listen or where you listen or what algorithms have been left on your phone that are telling us or the podcast provider called Acast telling them, you know, what you're interested in at the moment. Um, you may or may not get served an ad, but I will take this opportunity to play just a little bit of Idle Australians, which is a magnificent show that I'm making with James Matheson, who I used to do Australian Idol with a long time ago. Anyway, in light of the news of Brisbane's winning of the 2032 Olympic bid, we thought it'd be great to have a visit back to when Brisbane first went for the Olympics in the 80s. But Jimmy actually managed to track down Sally Ann Atkinson, the Lord Mayor of Brisbane at the time, who was a big part of the bid. 
It's the first episode of Idol Australians. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts and just have a listen to this moment with Jimmy and I and Sally Ann Atkinson. Idol Australians with James and Nasha. The absolute trailblazer, the living legend, the icon of Briz Vegas, Sally Ann Atkins, the only woman to have been Lord Mayor of the city, the driving force behind that audacious 92 bid. Brisbane had hosted the Commonwealth Games in 1982 and they were a great success and there was the usual, goodness, people were surprised, goodness, goodness, Brisbane did it, did it so well. And the Lord Mayor of the day, Roy Harvey, was so fired up with the success of those games that he stood up in the Queen Street Mall and said, we're going to go for the Olympics. And um, they went, oh, goodness, right. Anyhow, we, we did. Oh, I mean, who amongst us hasn't been fired up in the middle of Queen Street Mall and said something that might have been a little bit over the top? Idol Australians with James and Nasha. So you can find Idol Australians wherever you find your podcasts. Just type in IDLE Australians and um, you'll find it. All right, you might hear an ad right now or you might hear me and Jimmy Nicholson again. Who knows? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What did you get personally out of of the volunteering experience of of being of service to the community? Oh, look, I, I love the thing is for me, I, I spend my weekend if I've got it on the beach anyway. So why not spend it helping people out? And um, I love doing it anyway. So uh, I mean, some days when it's freezing cold, raining, and you're, you're sitting on the chair at the beach, it's not as fun. But I, I love the environment. So for me, it doesn't feel like work, and it's it's nice being able to give back and. Yeah, and even even because we had a bit of spare time, we helped. We then, after doing our course as students, we then helped the next course as instructors. We were just kind of just helping out. Um, so we'd turn up to the beach and do water safety, and you're sitting out there on a board helping people and teaching people. So yeah, yeah, it was it's really rewarding. It's good fun as well. I'm really when Wolf is a bit older, I'm we are definitely going to put him into nippers, and I'm really kind of looking oh. forward to once my hip heals up a bit. I'm I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that and. Being the dude at the beach with a hat going, come on, kids, you know, <laughs> I'm really looking yeah. forward to it, actually. It's um, what an amazing way to spend your weekend down yeah. at the beach. We all do it anyway. But I, I'm, my parents are, have been incredible parents, but it's one thing that I was always pissed off. I was like, why didn't you put me in nippers? And they said, well, your sister didn't like it. So, you know, I said, oh, great. Okay, thanks. So, yeah. you know, it's worked out in the end. It just it's a gift, certainly for a kid who grows up in a you know a country that's an island with surf that can kill you if you don't know what you're doing. This is a great gift to you know to give them for the rest of their days. You know, this is something that you can you'll always have. You know, did you ever, ever have to rescue anybody? I've actually rescued a couple of people before, bef- like prior to being qualified. Uh-huh. Um, when I was young, I I was just out on a surfboard and um, a kitty's gone to a Palm Beach and I rescued someone, but it was more so just they were kind of next to me. And I helped him come to the beach. But um, actually, on two family holidays, uh, we were in Italy. And mum and I, mum's a very good swimmer as well. And at the exact same spot, I think it was called the, the Green Grotto, two, the both times we went back there, we, we saved um, someone. So, yeah, someone just jumped in the water and wasn't that competent the first time. We helped him out. And the second time, it was really, really rough swell. And growing up in Australia, that's your bread and butter. You're used to jumping off rocks in a rough swell. Yeah. But over there, they weren't. So someone was in serious, serious distress. So we helped him out there. But um, Finn, my mate, actually, during his, <laughs> when you're doing your, your, your bronze, your final test, um, he actually did a rescue 
when he was being assessed. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, he was out doing his board assessment and uh, there was a genuine rescue. So he saw them, went off and helped them and they came in and they said, all right, well, yeah, you passed. Well done. So, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty special. Didn't you also get a forklift license during COVID? No, not me. I um I redid my RSA. <laughs> not as exciting as a forklift license. <laughs> I actually went down to Bondi Beach, the Beach Road Hotel, with my RSA and applied for a job there. I think in January when I thought I wasn't going to be back at work yet. Two days later, we got an email from the company saying, guys, great news, we're, we're going back to work. So it never eventuated. You're, but, almost, you're yeah. almost a barman at the beach, right? Yeah. Yeah, the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that would have been that, that would have ruined that pub for you for life. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was kind of lucky or unlucky. I don't know. I was 17 growing up in Brisbane and I was a roadie, right? And all these nightclubs that everyone was desperate to get into, I was working at, and I would just kind of see the night from a sober perspective and go, "Oh, it's not that really, not really that special in here, is it? It's actually kind of gross. <laughs> it kind of stinks, and people just kind of dribble on themselves later on and make idiots of themselves. And it didn't stop me from dribbling on myself and making an idiot of myself later on. Don't <laughs> worry, I've well and truly got myself to that point. Uh, <laughs> even, even, um, which is definitely no achievement compared to yours, Usher, but I had. I think I did three months not having a drop of alcohol just because I wanted to focus on getting fit and I think I was like 21. Anyway, it made me realise when you go out, um, you get past like 10 o'clock and no one can really talk and it, and it made me realise, I was like, jeez, we just kind of walk around with drinks in our hands mumbling after 10 and in the end I couldn't stay out. I just kind of would, would, would pull the pin and go home. It's interesting. <laughs> As a sober person, they, you know, they kind of teach you like get there after the first drink so there's no pressure to like, what do you have? Oh, come on, have one. Come on, have one. You know, oh, yeah, okay. get there after the first drink. So I arrive like, sorry, guys, a bit late and leave somewhere between drink four and five because that's mm. about people to start to repeat themselves. And if you could see it from the outside, it's, it's not really that great. And the it's decision, terrible chat. Yeah, it's terrible <laughs> chat. Stories just keep repeating and you're like, yeah, okay. Yes, you do. Yep, absolutely. And I, you don't remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we did actually talk about that. Never mind. Uh, yeah. When it comes to pilots, what's the biggest misconception you think people have about pilots? I think people watch too much Catch Me If You Can slash Denzel Washington flight. And they think that that basically we're all going on weekends away or going on trips away overseas and everyone's cheating on everyone. And it's it's that we're partying, drinking and you know, I mean, that probably happened back in the day, but nowadays it's it's quick turnarounds. Most of the overnights I've ever done are a minimum rest. So unless you're in Fiji or, or, or in Bali, you might get a two-dayer. But the majority of them, you're, you're getting in late and you're, and you're off after eight, 12 hours. So I think that's a little bit of a misconception and that's something that's a bit dated. Um, so I do find it a little bit frustrating when people kind of say, oh, you're a pilot, you're off doing this, you're not trustworthy, you're doing this. It's, you know, that, that's difficult. Of course, it would still happen in like in any industry, but times have changed. Absolutely. And okay, then, so what's the other misconception do you think people have about what it is to be the bachelor? Oh, I think people do often question your motives for going on to a show because, you know, I mean, I'm realistic. I think, and I think every single one of the girls coming on the show, if they hadn't have thought about the possibilities after the show, well, then... They're either lying or they might be, you know, they might be a little bit ignorant. Everyone would consider the fact that you're going to have a following afterwards. And there's no judgment from me if they're going to use that to benefit themselves and, and, and their business or whatever. For me, the only judgment is if you get on the, on the show and then you realise that, you, you know, if they don't like me, that's fair enough. I can't expect them to like me. Um, there's one of me, there's a lot of them. If they don't like me and then they still stay there and knowing they don't like me, and then other people going home that are genuine, who de- genuinely did really like me and aren't there for the fame, that's where I think it gets frustrating. So I think that's one of the misconceptions about people going on to The Bachelor is that everyone goes on there just looking for fame. And I think that's something for me to easily fend off because I've actually got a job that I've worked incredibly hard to get to. So, you know, I'm actually doing, from a professional point of view, I'm doing myself a disadvantage when it comes to my aviation career. So it's a non-conventional way of meeting someone, but you know, I, I honestly think that that me and my my chosen girl will be the next positive statistic to come out of The Bachelor because we've had the time afterwards, and we're so good together. I don't know what it is, but it works. Are you counting down the days till you can say who it is? 
Oh, and, you know, you speak about in, in interviews and everything and it's, I, mean, I talk to her five, ten times a day and, you know, not dropping her name is is quite difficult. So I, she's got a pseudo name with my family and so that's all good and, and in my phone. But um, it's going to be really nice when it's all over when I can just call her her name and we can go and have brekkie somewhere and do the stuff that we were never able to do on The Bachelor and that we're not able to do now. Yeah, Amazing. Dude, I'm so grateful I could speak to you. I'm so happy to see you happy. And um, once we're able to leave our local government area, let's t- drive some motorbikes up a windy road. Oh, I'd love that. Macquarie Pass, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is it for the day. Jimmy Nicholson, there he is. You can find The Bachelor on your telly Wednesday and Thursday nights or on 10play.com.au. However you watch it, I don't mind. Watch it however you like. It's a great series. I really like Jimmy. And it's really fun. I learn a lot every time I do the show. I learn a lot about how people interact. I find it fascinating. Thanks heaps for your feedback again. Send us your email at gmail.com. If this show brought you any value whatsoever, please just tell a friend. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Andy Ma, for producing it. Rachel Barrett for being my EP. Mike Mills, Toe Hider on the music. And you for being a part of it. You're awesome. If you're in lockdown, I'm sorry. Try and get a vaccination as quick as you can. That's all we can do is stay away from other people and get a vaccination. That's literally all we can do. That's it. Is that or get really sick. And I don't want that for any of you or me or my family. So stay away from other people, get a vaccination, look after yourself. That's it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, Until I speak to you on Thursday with Jimmy for another episode of Idle Australians, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 